The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. So, good evening to everyone. Can you hear me okay? Yeah? Great. Okay. My name is Miyoshin Kelly, and I feel like a cousin of Common Ground. <laughs> and that's because I um, have been teaching meditation for close to 20 years, and a lot of that was at the Insight Meditation Society. I was there for about 15 years. And during that time, I first started coming to Common Ground and giving talks. That was before it was in the center. And so I have, in some ways, been able to see the wonderful growth of this community. Uh, we've probably had a lot of shared teachers. Um, if any of you have been to IMS, you would know something of the surroundings that I lived and taught in. And now I live in Minneapolis, and I teach meditation for the Tergar Meditation Community. This is an organization that... Uh, was set up by Mingir Rinpoche, a Tibetan Lama, and offered programs based on his style of teaching. So I, I'm grateful now that I'm living here that I get to come and visit you more often. Tonight's talk is called Riding the Waves of Strong Emotions. And this morning I was thinking about the title of this talk and how... It kind of came to be some years ago when I was young and foolhardy. <laughs> I was in a kayak. It was a river kayak, but I was on the ocean. And as I went out, paddled out into the ocean, there was waves. That, that was the idea. We had gone there to surf in our kayaks. And as I was paddling out and suddenly there was this big wave coming at me. And as I saw this wave, it was like, oh my God, what do I do? And then in that moment, it was realizing I had to meet that wave. You know, I just had to get in there and go for it and be with that wave. And it was amazing. You know, and this is, I think, something that I have seen translated into strong emotion. Now, how many of us here have ever suffered in the face of strong emotions? <laughs> how many have not? <laughs> and often that initial response to strong emotions is, get me out of here. I don't want this. I don't like this. We want to stuff it down. Or we just want to act it out so strongly because we're overcome by it. And so it is one of the most fruitful places to practice. Because it can be where we're, we're really not free yet. And so it can be a, a way of looking into how it is that our hearts get caught and bound. It is a place that can be really insightful to pay attention to. There's so much that can be learned. And yet, we find that we might know that. Probably you've heard that if you've been meditating for any period of time, you've heard that. But <laughs> still, when it arises, we might not be jumping up and down for joy. So tonight, I just wanted to do some exploration of this. And I'm going to spend some time talking about it initially, but I think it's a subject that really is fruitful when we have conversation about it. Because there's different ways that we get stuck in it. There's different um, things that come up for us that can be really helpful to share. And, and one of the things I think about in emotions that's really helpful is to normalize it. You know, to know that we aren't alone in this. How many people have ever been uh, thrown about by fear? 
how many people have ever been thrown about by some form of anxiety? How many people have ever felt like you just really swamped in grief? How many people have ever felt really sad? How many people have ever felt strong self-hatred? We could keep going on. And, you know, there's just so many different flavors to emotions. That, that You know, they rise in so many different ways. Um, and there's something that is a part of our lived experience as a human being. And they come about, you know, they can come about when we meet situations in life where we don't like the way things are. We want to get rid of something. We, they can come about when we're intimidated by something in our lives or feeling that we need to get rid of something in order to be happy or that we need to hang on to something in order to be happy. Now, so, some of us have our most habituated emotions, ones that frequent us. And some of us might be frequented by fear. Some of us, it might be sadness, loneliness, feelings of despair. So, there's, you know, and one of the things about those that frequent us is that they are a great place of exploration. You know, and just even remembering when they arise that this can be a place of practice. There was a, a couple of teachings that I've heard from two teachers who have been really instrumental in my own life. And the first was from Mingi Rinpoche, whom I mentioned. And he says, where practice is most challenging is the best place for practice. So, you know, just remembering that when we have these emotions, it's not that we have to get rid of the emotion in order to practice, but that we can practice right there in that moment. And the other is a teaching from Sayadaw Utejaniya, whom maybe many of you have heard of, a Theravadan monk whom just has a really keen intelligence, a great way of helping Western students and others. But, you know, I've, I've just seen that many Westerners have really gotten a refreshed sense of practice from practicing with him. And he emphasizes a lot of inquiry. And he says, when I have a weak point, I challenge myself. You know, and that's something of that sense of riding the waves of strong emotions. That if we're really going to ride these waves, we've got to rise up to it. You know, we've got to have that sense of, this is something I can look at, something I can learn from, something I can find to help me find peace and happiness in my life. You know, and we don't have to see emotions as a sign of failure. That if we were really equanimous and and had really good practice, that we wouldn't have emotions. Because emotions are just one aspect of what happens as a human being. And so, you know, can we use it? Can we let this be okay? Can we let this be really brought into our practice and our sense of embodiment of our practice? Yes, we can. And actually, it gets really rich when we do. You know, because it's in those moments where instead of turning away from that wave, we turn into it. And we use what's here, what's here now. And that's always going to be where we discover the Dharma. That's always going to be where we discover truth. That's always going to be where the potential for liberation is. And so if we're holding out to get rid of the emotion, it's not going to happen. You know, we've got to make friends, make peace with 
be okay with all of the different aspects that we encounter as a human being. And that's how we're going to find freedom. So the first is really letting it be okay that we experience emotions. And I will speak a little bit to, I know that there's some people who say, Yes, I know some people can can see they have strong emotions, but in my world, I don't feel that a lot. So I'm just going to talk, just to name a few places where if we think we don't have emotions, we might just notice what the flavor is like. And sometimes emotion seems like too big a word for some people. You know, for some of us, we relate fully. (laughs) You know, we live in our emotions. You know, we live thrown about by our emotions. But that's not the way it is for everybody. You know, some people it's like, oh, I don't think I have that many emotions. And yet, you know, some, um, Edwin, my husband, gives a description of emotions where it can be like you're in the theater and there's a lot going on on the stage and the emotions might be more like the lighting. You know, and the lighting is more in the background, but it it has an effect on everything that's happening. And I think this is really important to know because even if we don't see those emotions, they can become the lens through which we view life and coloring how we perceive life and we don't even know it. And so it can be coloring in a way that may not be the truth of how things are, but we believe it because we don't see it. So it's worth it to give exploration to different ways that we might touch into emotions. First is when you wake up in the morning. What's the mind like there? You know, some of us, (laughs) I know from experience, and it's not my own, wake up and there's just this joyful exuberance. And it's like, wow, a new day. You know, others of us, which I tend to fall more into, is like, whoa, okay, we got to wake up here. You know, there's something happening. Uh, uh, you know, it's more of a struggle. You know, it takes a little bit more effort. Sometimes we might wake up and it feels heavy. Like, oh, my goodness, another day. I don't know if I can do it. You know, so just pay attention when you wake up in the morning. Getting your food, getting your breakfast, whether it's for you, for your family. You know, what's the mood of the mind? Like, oh, a way that I can nourish myself and there's joy in it. Or is it drudgery? Does it feel heavy? You know, know, just what's the flavor in the mind? You know, as we eat food. You know, in the workplace, if we're working or maybe we're studying, what... You know, as we're faced with tasks in the day, what's the mind like? What's the reactivity of the mind? Are we really needing these tasks? Or is there a shying away from, not wanting? Is there a desire to space out, become oblivious? In our interactions with people, just watching. You know, are we really facing into that, meeting with that person? Is there a shine away from, a sense of distraction? If there's distraction, look what's happening there. You know, often, you know, if you, you notice that you're, you're speaking to somebody, but really you're thinking about something else, what's the flavor that's there? When we say goodbye to people, this is a really poignant moment, if we're present. You know, if we're not present, that's a whole other piece of the distraction. But if we're present with somebody, what's happening in moments of separation? What's happening in moments where we lose something? What's happening in moments where we want something? What's happen- What's the mind like when we're engaging in an activity that we enjoy? What's the mind like when we're engaging in an activity that is repetitive, 
that seems mundane, that we don't feel interested in. Now, so just taking a notice, what's, what's the atmosphere of the mind in the activities of our life? And, you know, then there comes a point of really being able to be honest with ourselves. Because sometimes when emotions turn up, it's not a pretty picture. Sometimes it's not the idea that we have about ourselves. You know, I remember before in my own practice, you know, thinking that I was a reasonably kind person. And then being amazed at times where there was resentment, there was jealousy, there was anger, there was rage. And these might have been moments before where I glossed over, I suppressed, I denied. But when I gave that space of, it's okay, we can let things be here, and there was awareness, it was starting to see a little bit more. You know, when we really become more present in our lives, we start to see more of the stuff. But that's okay. Let it be illuminated within awareness. And awareness itself has its own protective mechanism. What is that? That's this non-judgmental aspect that can just let things be reflected within awareness. And we don't have to collapse or become. You know, we, we don't have to see anger and become that angry person. We don't have to see fear and become that fearful person. We can really just let these states be there. Allow them. And, and if we can really let them be there, this has its own effect of starting to calm the mind. Because in that moment where anger is present and we haven't become the anger, and that means we aren't engaged with the storyline, the thoughts about the, the self righteous indignation, we aren't fixed in that view, there's more space in the mind. There's more openness in the mind. And anger can simply be another arising, a transient experience in this vast field of awareness. And, you know, it's like, oh, anger's here. You know, it's like somebody just walked in the room, and that's okay. We can let it be here. And so out of that, there's a calmness that comes not because we we just fixated on something and going, I'm going to be calm. It's not like we're injecting calm into the system. It's because there's a relaxation that's there, an openness, a receptivity. And then it may be that there's, you know, with the state of anger, there's strong energy. And so then we can really use that energy, be aware of that energy, and that's like using that energy as the support to staying present. And so with that, using that support, we allow ourselves to feel it. What does it feel like? You know, just using anger as an experience. What, you know, how do we feel that emotion? And, you know, we might feel that with anger, there's heat, there's energy, there's movement. The body might be shaking. We can feel that. And then we can look at what's the mind like. You know, and we might see there's an image. We want to we strangle the person. We might um, notice that there's thoughts in the mind. And... But we're aware of these. We let these be in the field of awareness. Again, it's like knowing this is just a thought. Knowing this is just another piece of this experience. And not fixating, collapsing, grasping, getting lost in that thought. It again allows that spaciousness. So we're using this emotion. And, you know, it, it has, can have that sense of, becoming really fully alive in that moment. And so that can be a feeling of anger, if that's what's there. 
with sadness, but we're giving air to it, space to it. You're letting sadness be, letting that feeling of grief be, letting loneliness be. You know, letting it be okay, recognizing, accepting. And then, you know, with these strong emotions, yes, it's a nice idea to really give it that space, but then the mind starts to fixate. So then looking at that fixation, being interested in how it is that from, you know, a wide open mind that can touch this to collapsing. And we know that happens in a moment. Or we know in that fixation can be that moment where we identify and we go with. You know, how many times have you said something and then went, whoops? No? And we, you know, we can't take it back at that moment. It's out there. And, and, but we can still turn up in that process. We can still be with what's happening there. You know, so at any moment where the mindfulness or awareness recognizes, sees what's happening again without being lost in the experience, that's a moment where we can be interested. And that's a moment where we can explore, look at, watch this process where we get so identified with these states. And, you know, so, you know, we can see, is it, is there an experience that we're getting identified with here where we want something to be a certain way? Is there a belief idea we have about how things should be that we're getting, you know, caught up in and really wanting to assert our idea of how the world should be? Is there um, something that we are just completely aversive to and reacting to, not wanting to be? You know, just check it out. Be interested. And, you know, that this takes a lot in itself. Again, I know it's easy to say, be interested. But in those moments where it's so strong, if we don't know why we would be interested, we won't have the willingness to do. You know, similarly, it's like if we simply practice meditation because we think it's good for us, chances are we won't stay with it very long. You know, we've got to have a sense of why we do this. You know, going back to the looking at our motivation when we began the meditation period. You know, this is something that clarifies over time. But, you know, it's a sense that that through the examination of our experience, we can find more peace, happiness, a sense of well-being that is, in fact, our birthright, that is, in fact, something that we can all come to discover within ourselves when we find the way to not be so caught up in and fixated on these different aspects of experience that we cling to. So we need to know why it is that we would be willing to look deeply into anger, which can be anywhere from knowing that by looking deeply, we can actually begin to calm the mind, which will bring a little bit more peace and happiness in our in our minds, to knowing that by doing this, we can come to know, come to understand the way things are and to be able to live in accordance with reality where we're not constantly battling, trying to assert our idea of how we want things to be in a way that it can't. You know, so we start to really find a way of tapping into our own innate wisdom that is at peace, at ease with how things are. So we need to know that there is a value in 
riding that wave, in being with that, with awareness. Otherwise, we won't do it. Otherwise, it's like, why? But when we begin to taste for ourselves of the difference between something like being lost in the state of awareness, uh, in the state of anger, where we're acting out, where where we see we harm ourselves, we harm others, that it's really painful, leads to more suffering, when we start to see what that's like, and we start to see what happens when instead we simply become aware of that anger. And we have a felt sense of the difference where we've stepped out of the stream of being so entrenched in and we're instead we're present to, we start to see that right there, it's the breaking of a habit, it's the not fueling that fire, and that by not fueling that fire of anger, it doesn't, uh, the anger has its own natural life, and it too is impermanent like everything else. We don't fuel it, it passes away. You know, and that we don't have to create a whole reality out of that one state. And when we start to taste of that difference, for me, it started to happen that it's like, this becomes a no-brainer. It's like, why would we choose to mindlessly engage with these states when the reprieve that comes by being present even when it's unpleasant experience, because I don't want to set up that become aware everything's hunky-dory. You know, that's not quite the lived experience. It can still be unpleasant. But, whoa, the spaciousness, the freedom, you know, the, 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 to feel a freedom where we don't just have to be moved by habit. And that's what happens with emotions when we don't pay attention is they become habituated, that they start to reoccur because they're conditioned. We feed them. We feed it in one moment. We're planting the seeds for that to arise again in the future. And so, you know, it's like, I don't know, there was such a, I I just have this sense of, you know, the dominoes effect. You know, one domino falls and hits another and hits another. And with anger, when we face it, it's like the buck starts here, stops here. If we don't face it, it's like in that moment where the domino falls, we react with anger, you know, and maybe it's towards ourselves, maybe it's towards someone in the world, but instead, it's just, it lands here, and it just is. And then out of that, it may be that wisdom sees that there's a voice that needs to be spoken, a responsiveness, you know, it's not that we do this to numb, to be become just so totally passive, but a responsiveness that comes from a spaciousness out of which we tap into our inner wisdom. And it's not just habituated. It's not coming from that reactivity, but rather from a responsiveness. Or with fear. You know, sometimes there's a type of fear where some something, you know, walking down the street and a car is coming right at us, we look up and yeah, we need to move out of harm's way. And so in many ways in life, there could be real harm coming towards us and we need to move out of way. But many times when we're faced with something that startles us, we just have an aversive reaction and can freeze, can, um, you know, we either freeze or we lash out. And it may not be wisdom. So what we're really wanting to do through our practice is to gain access to that innate wisdom that is there, that is the responsiveness of the heart when we are awake. You know, that a responsiveness that's based in love, kindness, compassion. And so when we start to pay attention to these emotions, that is a potential of what we're doing. 
So knowing something of the potential. Knowing too that, you know, sometimes we may feel there's different ways to be with emotions. So one, being able to turn into it, to be with it, <clears throat> to use it, to use all of, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> Wake up call. To use all of the different aspects of it, of it, to be aware of the feelings in the body, the thoughts, the images, to stay present to that, to actually use a sense of inquiry, investigation. Where's the mind fixating? What's being held on to? What's, what, where's the sense of self-solidifying here? Looking at it from that way. Looking at it to see just the changes within it. So we can come to know something of the truth of impermanence in it. To be able to see the fluctuations, to see that it's not so solid as it appears. That there's more permeability. Um, so we can explore it in this way. We can also see sometimes that that might feel too much. We just feel like we don't have the, there's not a stable awareness to be present with that in that way. And so we might at that, in those moments, touch into a sense of, wow, this is painful. This is suffering. And touch into a sense of compassion with it. And, you know, if we're familiar with compassion practice, we may just have a sense of, you know, offering the phrases of compassion to ourselves. May I be free from suffering and its causes. You know, and, and just with that, we're allowing that state to be there, but to be touched with kindness, a sense of softening. And, you know, appreciating that there is this quivering, this trembling in the heart. This is hard. And it's okay. So we learn to stand with it in a different way. We learn to be present with it in a different way. There is even a practice where we can um, open to it, allow it to be there with a, a sense of kindness, care, um, and connection to others, knowing that you know when we have these strong emotions, we are not the only beings who suffer from this. Because you know, often when we suffer from emotion, we are the ones that, that are caught in this, this is our suffering, and it really becomes another banner of self in a certain sense. And we're not the only people that suffer in the face of fear, in the face of sadness. And so sometimes remembering that other beings suffer in this same way and then there's a practice where we can even take it that where, where we remember these other beings and how painful this emotion can be when we're caught in it and we let our emotion be there to represent that emotion in other beings so that they can actually be free from it. And that's not, that, that's a practice that can be done that in that moment we're allowing our own sense of benevolence of heart, of loving kindness, of wishing well for others to help hold this emotion that we're experiencing to, to enable others to be free. And it can be a, a very empowering way to be with um, some strong emotions. It, it's a practice I'm not going to go into in more detail now, um, I will just say in brief that if you have interest in, in in exploring how to work with emotions from the perspective of loving kindness, compassion, um, joy, and equanimity, a weekend, not this weekend, the following weekend at Tergar, I'm actually doing a program around this. But that I want to open up the potential that these emotions can be held with loving kindness, compassion. And that, that can bring a fearlessness to our potential to allow these emotions to be. So when we're faced with strong emotions, what becomes really important is that we have an honesty. Uh, and that we know when we have the capacity 
to turn into that wave and when we don't. No, I, I actually don't know what I uh, would do if I was facing into that wave in my kayak like I described and felt like this is too much, I can't do this. I know that if I was out body surfing, I would dive under the wave. You know, so, so, and so there's a, a similar way in our lives when, you know, we've been in a really rocky place and then suddenly there is a wave of sadness that's coming and that feels like the boat's just gonna sink. Then we need to know other ways to be in that moment so that we aren't trying to be with that which in this moment we don't have the resources to be with simply through awareness. And so that might be where we see that we need to turn our attention in a different way. So then we might turn to loving kindness, compassion practice. So we try something different in those moments. And, you know, it could still be then we find that we're swamped with strong emotion. And so then a third step that we can take, and I'm going to run through these at the end. If you feel like you missed number one, I'll come back to it. But the third step that we can take is to step back. And to often in our experience with emotion, there can be something that's fueling it that we haven't yet seen. And that can be resistance to the emotion. That's really common. That we want to be with some emotion, but actually there's a resistance. We don't want to. And we don't see the reaction to it. And then there's just a sense of not even being able to get near to it or just feeding it and we don't know why. But it's because we're resisting it. So if we step step back, we give it a bit of space, we can start to see what else is here. Maybe there's a thought that's fueling it, a belief, an idea. And so we, it's like just, you know, the, the emotions in the room, it's like stepping back. What else is here? And then we see if that, if the emotion still feels really strong, it's like take a break from it. And so that's different. You know, if we're sitting on the cushion, it might be that we open, if we're sitting in a room full of people, take a break from it, we might just open our eyes and just be here and not try to do anything um, and just, well, it's just letting ourselves be. In a, it, it could also be that if we're at home, we're practicing, that we do something like take a walk, have a cup of tea, maybe read a book. You know, letting the mind find a way that it can connect where it's not feeling so threatened where balance starts to come back into the mind. And and then, you know, once we start to find stability again, then we can go back to the emotion if it's still present. One thing that's really important with the taking a break is that as meditators, we often feel like we should be able to be with something and that if we can't, it's a sign of failure. But in fact, it can be a, a sign of wisdom that it's like, okay, this is enough right now. We really have to learn to listen to when it's not, you know, just a an instant moving away from something, but we've actually been through these steps and it's like, whoa, this is too much in this moment. And and being willing to take that break. And then out of that, the energy rebuilds, that we find that we have this balance in the mind where we can look, we can explore. So with difficult emotions, the four steps we can take is one, we simply try to be with, be aware of, be interested in. You know, it's our main practice that we're really bringing this to the table of our practice and using it. And then it feels like it's throwing us about. Second step, try something different. You know, that could be loving kindness, compassion. It could be that if we've been looking directly at the emotion and it's too much, go to something neutral like hearing. Feeling, you know, for a neutral experience, I often use sensation of the air on my skin. Unless, of course, it's really cold or really hot. But, you know, often it can be used. 
you know, just some place we can stay connected. Because again, this helps the mind to stabilize so that we can, in other moments, look again. But if we're still feeling like we're getting swamped, overcome by, and remember that there's no point in getting lost in these emotions. What we're learning is to have a stable awareness, a presence with these emotions. So if we're still getting swamped in it, then um, step back. Is there a booster that's here? You know, sometimes that booster might be hope. So how many of us have ever practiced with this sense of, okay, fear, I see you, I'm going to be with you, so you'll go away and I'll never see you again. Or sometimes we're practicing and fear comes up. And I found this with physical pain, you know, that fear that this is always going to be this way. Or strong states like grief, you know, this is always going to be. So there's a fear that's present that hasn't been seen. You know, so step back, take in what else is here. Or that that subtle idea, belief, that might be feeding into the emotion. And then if it's still really strong, take a break. And take some space. Let the mind come back into balance. I'd really like to just encourage you to, you know, this is a part of being a human being. Bring it to our practice. Bring it to the path of awakening. Bring it to being something that has the potential to wake us up here and now, to help us live more fully as human beings, to accept that, you know, we have these, we have emotions, some of them we like, some of them we don't like. The ones we like, we get caught in because we want to hang on to. We want to make permanent. The ones we don't like, we want to get rid of. We don't want to deny but opening up to this full range of what it is to be a human being. I'd like to um, just end this before I open it up to uh, conversation, is a teaching from Mingyur Rinpoche. He says, Among all living creatures studied thus far by modern scientists, only human beings can be said with absolute certainty to have been endowed with the ability to make deliberate choices about the direction of their lives and to discern whether those choices will lead them through the valley of transitory happiness or into a realm of lasting peace and well-being. Though we may be genetically wired for temporary happiness, we've also been gifted with the ability to recognize within ourselves a more profound and lasting sense of confidence, peace, and well-being. Among sentient beings, human beings appear to stand alone in their ability to recognize the necessity to forge a bond between reason, emotion, and the instinct to survive, and in so doing, create a universe, not only for themselves and the human generations that follow, but also for all creatures who feel pain, fear, and suffering, in which we all are able to coexist contentedly and peaceably. So, just opening it up here to discussion, questions, comments, Yes. Um, first, thank you. Um, all the way back in the beginning, I think you started with just the story of the wave, meeting wave. And um, just after that, you sort of a list of emotions which we all can kind of agree are the negative ones. And, mm-hmm. um, it kept coming to mind, like, that wave sometimes is, you know love, you know, the strong emotion of love or passion or mm-hmm. um, something that's a little more fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I find, like, just this, it's, it's the same way as if you're working with anger. 
it's really hot and strong, uh-huh. it can be the most definite, difficult to be yeah. moving in with it or working with the wave as opposed to getting swamped by it. Right. Right. Um, and I, you know, I think part of the goal is just to keep moving into that space of intimacy even when it gets really hairy or mm-hmm. the situation is mm-hmm. like, yeah, you're right on the edge. Um, so I was just hoping maybe you could say a little bit about mm-hmm. riding the wave of, um, you know, deep intimacy mm-hmm. um, and sort of how that works with expanding the practice around fear or sadness or depression. Mm-hmm. Could everybody hear that? Yeah? Great, good. It's a really good question. Thank you for bringing that up. Oh. When in intimacy, where we really feel love coming for, that is the place where, yes, desire, and I don't mean desire so much in the crude sense of it, but it's like, oh, my goodness, we want to drink it in, in a sense. And our tendency, there can be a few tendencies that come in, either to really get drunk on it to the point where we start to color perception through sentimentality, through rose-colored glasses, I mean, falling in love, classic example of this. Uh, if we've ever been, you know, just spellbound by something, and it's like we fix a mind state as, you know, a way that we, a moment that we've had where there's been a real opening, but then we fixate on that too, you know, and, and with that, you know, what happens? You know, it leads to suffering. You know, what happens? That person isn't behaving the way that our rose-colored glasses said they should. You know, it, it leads itself into, and what can happen? We develop fear. We, we've been down that road. We've, we've been, you know, our first love of our life. You know, many of us have had that. And, whoa, that's a memory we carry for the rest of our lives. And we can be really fearful entering into relationship. I think the thing with intimacy is that it can trigger that everything. You know, it, it exposes everything. Willingness. Are we willing to do that? You know, are we willing to let ourselves see in ourselves and, you know, often we feel seen by the other. Letting it, letting it be there. Can that be okay? Is there space for that? Um, the willingness to, to see that, yes, in moments we might touch into something that's really pure and beautiful. And then the self takes hold of it. And that's a part of what intimate relationships can show us. And that we don't need to make ourselves wrong that suddenly this person that we felt this wellspring of care for, and from the bottom of our heart we wanted them to 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 know their full potential, and then suddenly the stupid idiot isn't doing what I said. <laughs> You know, and so we see that, oh my goodness, there's attachment there. You know, I want something, I want this person to be a certain way. Don't turn your back on yourself. Look there. Feel that. You know, and for me, intimacy has been so powerful, and this is interesting saying it with my husband sitting in the room. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's the knowing that deep in my heart, I care for this person, and from the depths of my heart, I want to wish well for them, and that sometimes I'm really stupid. You know, there's, there's just an ignorance that, and not seeing that comes in, and I'm sorry. You know, but that's, you know, I'm just not that awake, but this is how it is. And that, that, it's okay. It's okay within relationship to be both. You know, to, and but if we see that we're just getting stuck in habit, sometimes relationships aren't so healthy. You know, where where two people aren't using it as a place to wake up, but just locked into habit, 
we can just be perpetuating that lostness. So then it's being able to see, hey, I need a break. So we just use that intimacy. We use that as an exploration to see what gets reflected back. And it's like not using the intimacy to get, to have, you know, that this person's going to give me the happiness that I want, but what gets reflected in this process. And that can help us to wake up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm interpreting this discussion as um, transitioning from irrational to rational thought in the presence of diverse emotions. Uh huh. I think that it goes beyond just being rational thought. You know that um, the rational thought is that can sometimes be an antidote. You know, whereas something's really irrational, and we just replace it with a more rational looking at, which sometimes can be helpful. But there's actually a potential that's here that goes beyond that, where where not only do we make peace with that irrational energy that's happening, the irrational thoughts that might be present, but that we can actually go beyond the conceptual mind here to to find something that is a happiness that is unshakable. So there's a potential there that goes beyond the conceptual mind but it can come through the facing of that irrational energy. Yeah? Yes. <clears throat> I had an experience where I'm a supervisor and one of my staff needed some direction. I'm one of those people who don't have a lot of emotional mm-hmm. kind of um, things to do. So this woman, um, you know, I, I thought I was giving her fairly simple direction and she just attacked me. I mean, not physically, but verbally. And I could feel my body, you know, just on fire. I mean, to the point where I almost couldn't see. And I just kept breathing and just kept breathing. But what what I'm interested in is how to help that body response. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, um, you know, I really didn't say anything. She wasn't going to give me a chance to say anything. Mm-hmm. And I had all this stuff going through my mind, like, she really shouldn't be talking to me this way, and I don't want to say anything that's going to trigger more. But that body response was so intense. I mean, it took me probably a couple hours to just read mm-hmm. like clear what mm-hmm. had happened. I mean, my body was mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So being aware of that body response, like it sounds like you, you did your best with, you know, to feel that body response, to also, and that this is a moment too where if the body response is getting overwhelming and 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 it leads into more fire more more feeding of that then it's helpful to turn the attention somewhere else because what you want to be looking at is how you can stay connected in this moment and so maybe in that moment um turning the attention to uh, could be a sensation that is more neutral like just feeling your feet on the ground it could be if, you know, there's a hum of a of air conditioner or heating system or whatever, that you just start paying attention to that. And so you, it's not like you're strongly focusing on that, but you're letting the awareness rest there so that you aren't either becoming totally identified with all of the body sensations or with the story about the situation, but that you're actually able to stay connected in this whole realm of experience somewhere where you're not so threatened. And then if you get pulled back into it in the moments where where you have the choice, you know, we all know that there's times where there, it feels like there's no choice. We are lost in it. But in the moment where you have the choice again, reconnect. Where can you turn the attention to reconnect? Yeah? And, you know, that's where we also need patience with ourselves. Some of these are are really, you know, it can just be the explosiveness of a situation where where the body, you know, is, might, is feeling threatened. You know, this, is, this feels abusive in some way. 
And so there's some sense of threat. And so, you know, there's a responsiveness that's there. And so, um, you know, it can be the strength of the situation. And so it's, it depends on how long, not, not always how long, uh, but how much stability we have in being able to be present with in a moment, how much we can really meet that situation and how much we need to turn somewhere else. But the, and that's where the honesty is really helpful. So we're not, we're not putting a should, an extra burden on ourselves in that moment. Because really it's a moment where we need complete kindness. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I'm thinking back to uh, the retreat that we had here and there was something going on in our life that I really was making a story and a lot of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I like, you know, the, the different, the list of different ways to work with the emotion mm-hmm. that she gave to us. Mm-hmm. And I think I go through all of them, sometimes all at the same time. That's the question. <laughs> Because I could tell there was a lot of aversion and we just wanted to get off this and it was really hot. And so I kept trying different techniques. And I could tell it was because I had a lot of aversion. And so the question is, you know, is it good to settle on one thing or I have a question. Well, I'm just describing the process that I've done many times on retreats. So yeah. how many is it working? Let's go to problem B. Oh, how about yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone here? <sighs> Often in that sense of trying different techniques, there can be, sometimes it's a healthy healthy aspect and sometimes underlying that is I'm techniquing it to get away, to get it, to make it go away. And so it might be just the scene. The, and for me, the, the, just the feeling of that energetic, like, or the, the feeling of the trying with, don't worry about what you're trying, but just feeling the energy of that is closer to the visceral experience that's there, that we're somehow overriding by the techniques themselves. So that, that's, that's that sense of more backing up in the whole room and looking at the energy that's underlying this. Yeah. Yes. I'm wondering how you could go about handling numbness. Um, I was describing a problem and I could do a numb, but I'm wondering how to get in touch with the Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the feeling, if we're, you know, numbness is what our experience is, and this again is not uncommon. So it is, what does numbness feel like? No, so just feel what it is in the body. You know, and maybe it's just a feeling of absence. Maybe it's compounded by thoughts. There should be more feeling. Maybe there's a wanting to feel. But what is, the, what is this experience? Just explore the numbness. This is what's here for you. And so, you know, to, um, notice changes, like I, maybe we're doing one thing and we feel, we feel like there's a numbness and what that's like. When we change activities, is that numbness still there? Is there times in the day when the numbness is not there? And so just letting there be an exploration of this experience too. Because even, it's funny, you know, we say strong emotion, but sometimes the subtle emotions that are pulling in some way are in themselves strong. You know, so, so strongness is, doesn't always mean it's dynamic in that way, but that, that there's something that's really permeating the space might be a better way to say. Description of the strong emotion. So what's permeating the space? Even an absence of feeling. Yeah? Hmm. Okay, last question or comment. Um, I'm 
So this idea of habitual emotions and uh, sense of self, um, it just had me thinking about how I'm recognizing that I'm constantly struggling with this, um, the concepts that I have, um, you know, and using kind of habitual emotions in my concepts to kind of identify um, subjects or areas in my life that I should be angry at or I should be sad at, you know, and, and kind of like forming a sense of identity mm-hmm. of my surroundings mm-hmm. and the way that I relate those things to other people mm-hmm. um, and getting really caught up in in that as a way of relating to other people or just kind of connecting mm-hmm. with other people, right? Mm-hmm. And um, how strong that like sense of self is mm-hmm. and it just kind of takes me over so for a long period of time, I kind of had this idea that I don't really have strong emotions, that it's just more like I kind of like pick things that I feel like it's acceptable to be angry at or it's acceptable to be sad at, and uh-huh. I just kind of conceptualize it in my mind until I'm actually, you know, like I actually uh-huh. feel like I'm upset or yeah, yeah. happy or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I guess I was just wondering if you had any comments on like how, how to deal with that more constructively instead of just... It happening and then you're recognizing it and, and I can't, I don't ever really feel like I'm getting in touch with an actual like raw emotion as it's happening. I feel like my my mind kind of kicks in first in my sense of, uh-huh. you know, this is what it's supposed to be like, this is how I'm supposed to react. Uh-huh. And I go down that road uh-huh. instead of just letting myself kind of be with things. Uh-huh. It's not so much when I'm alone, but when I'm around other people. Uh-huh. It seems to be my, just my gut reaction. <laughs> my first instinct is to, uh-huh. Uh huh. Wow, that's a that's an interesting question, and you know, everyone here, prob- yeah, great, yay. <laughs> um, because I mean, you're experiencing it through seeing it in uh, situations where you think it's appropriate for anger, and then you know, um, kind of almost trying to create that anger, but not a sense of that's really what's happening. Is that right? So it's almost a manipulation. A manipulation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, this is what we do in so many different ways in our life. Uh, and I think this is just a really good example of the creation of self where, you know, it, it can be through um, having beliefs, ideas, views, opinions that we've taken in from others, how we think things should be, that are just coloring the way that we're experiencing something. And we live according to that story. And so, you know, it's like just call yourself with interest to to what is happening here. You know, what, knowing that, first of all, confusion, because we're, we're not even really clear what's happening. So it might be identifying confusion in the mind and then what does confusion feel like? But taking that moment where we, we know you've already identified this is a habit. And that's, that's like I said before, it can be the mindfulness bell. You know, just like we hit a bell here, you know, that's your bell. What's going on? And, and just having that openness of mind, don't have a story, a program about what's happening here. Really let the mind be fresh. What is this? What's going on? And and then you just look to body, you look to thoughts, you look to images in the mind, and you don't have to figure it out. Look, see, feel, be with. Sense of listening. What is this? And let it unfold. And that's life right there. Yeah? Hmm. Okay. All right. Maybe we can just take a moment for silence.
and offering any benefit, any fruits, any wholesome energy that comes from our time here to be dedicated to the peace, the happiness, the welfare of all beings everywhere. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.